I need to go start another church. And he left and you said, you're the pastor. And that was 1993. And so we're still experimenting with that idea. <laughs> Whether or not it was a good decision, it's still, you know, the vote is still out. It's, it's not, you know, it's not looking good. But till today, I still am the pastor. So I may not be when I get back, but uh, I am now. Uh, I wanted to bring you an encouragement from Mark chapter 12. So if you'll open your Bible to Mark chapter 12. And, and, and I'm going to be teaching on giving. So if, if someone invited you to church and they told you, oh, my church is not all about money. And so then you came with your friend and then now the guy's teaching on giving. So I fulfilled your expectations. Uh, but, but I want to talk about it no, not so much as to try to like... Uh, have a fundraiser kind of an idea. You know, churches, that's one of the things that churches are always in need, right? There's never enough workers and there's never enough money. Right? There's always these dreams and these hopes and ideas that we want to have happening in the ministry. And we're always short of money and we're always short of people. And so traditionally, or generally speaking, really around the world, uh, when the person's in the pulpit and they're speaking and looking at the congregation, they're thinking we need more workers and we need more money. And that can kind of, impact the messages. So we're super blessed in Calvary Chapel because our, our founding pastor, Chuck Smith, he had come out of a denomination, he lived through all of that, and he really kind of, I think by the Spirit of God and through the Word of God, came to the idea that really the pastor's job was to feed the flock. And if you feed the flock and you just emphasize what God's Word emphasizes, that people will grow spiritually, they'll become healthy, and then they'll naturally do what believers want to do. Believers want to serve God, and they love to give. And so, so I'm not sharing this because I was talking with uh, Raz, you know, and just saying, hey, what, what are the issues here? Or, or, or talking with Zach and like, man, we need more money from these people. Hit them hard. Uh, you know, I just want to set that aside because I think there's some things in the Bible and especially Jesus, when he talked about things, he kind of, whatever the status quo was or the, our way of thinking, Jesus's way of thinking is so wonderful. And he, he just blows up the world's model. He blows up the natural idea of things. He sees things so differently. And for us as, as followers of Jesus, we have to learn to see the world the way he sees it. We have to. It's not an option. If you're here and you say, well, sometimes I see it the way the Lord does, but I kind of see it differently. I just want to tell you, stop thinking like that. <laughs> you need to just look at what, and just say, I'm going to adopt 100% the way Jesus thinks. And let's look at this passage. It's, it's in Mark chapter 12. And it's a famous story. You know this person that, I'm, that I may be focusing on. She's very famous, by the way. She's one of the most famous people in the New Testament. Everybody knows her. And verse 41, it says, Jesus sat opposite the treasury, and he saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow, she came and she threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. And he called his disciples to himself and he said to them, Assuredly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who've given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for Revelation, we thank you for the spirit that you've given to us, the spirit of, of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. And we're asking for that this morning, that the spirit of God would come to us and, and from within us and that he would do in us and, and in our minds, Lord, that our minds would be renewed. We're praying for that supernatural awakening that we would see and understand those things that cannot be really seen or understood except by the spirit. They're spiritually discerned, as the, as the New Testament says. So this way of thinking, Lord, how you see our hearts, how you see our, our giving, really, our sacrifices, Lord, that we would be captured by the love of Christ, that our hearts would be freed up from insecurities and, and fears and doubts, and, and, and Lord, how sometimes we disqualify ourselves when actually you're wanting to praise us. And so, Lord, I pray for every one of us that that exactly what each one of us need to be hearing this morning, your spirit would bring it to our hearts individually, that you'd help us and encourage us. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. So this is obviously, we're gonna look at the, the widow who gave this amount of money this morning. Uh, 
And, and it's interesting, if you think about the, the, the setting and what it would look like visually. So if you think of Israel, if you've traveled to Israel, you know the Temple Mount area and what it looks like. It's this big, giant, uh, squ- you know, rectangular thing. And it's, it's a place of prominence. And you would make your way up the steps and you would go into this giant outer court. And you would have all kinds of people there. We know in Jesus' day they were buying and selling. We know from the Jewish writers, historians of the time, that there was an area where there were these big boxes that were set up and that people would come in with their gifts and they would present them in these giant boxes in a very public way. That's what's happening in the passage. The disciples are in this outer court and people are kind of coming in and very wealthy people are coming in and they're dressed like a wealthy person would dress, probably have some kind of an entourage. And they, they come in and there's an announcement about their giving. This person, you know, sort of trumpeting it out. Remember Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. When they give, they blow a trumpet. By the way, did you know hypocrites give? You know Matthew chapter 6? He says, don't, don't give like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the hypocrites. And don't fast like the hypocrites. I pray and I fast and I give. Does that make me a hypocrite? I don't know. You say, well, maybe you are rich. I mean, Jesus said, warned about it, right? Like, hypocrites give. Someone could give in a way to sort of present or create an identity. I want everybody to understand me and, and, and put me in a position and in a place. And so these gifts would be given in a way to establish a person's greatness or their, their status. And, and it's happening. It's very public. It happens every day. It's when people are coming in. It happens every day. But on this day... And imagine if you could think of Jerusalem and you think of this city and think of the kind of home that this widow lives in. If all she has is two mites, what does her home look like? Did she have enough money to make herself a cup of Turkish coffee that morning? What did she have for breakfast? Maybe she didn't have a breakfast. And she's thinking, what is she thinking as she's getting ready and maybe she doesn't have any money so she puts the best clothes. Maybe she has the one certain thing, that she, maybe a certain shawl that she wears that when she goes to the temple and she's so excited to put it on it. And, she, and this widow's making her way. She doesn't seem to have anybody in the world, but she's coming and, and she has in her little purse all that she has. And what is she thinking when she's coming to worship that day? It's like, well, this is all I have, God, and, and I'm just going to come. And she comes in and all the, all the noise and the clamor is happening around all these other people. And people are noticing it and saying, wow, did you hear the sound in those gold coins? Just, it was like Las Vegas. You know, Pumping, there's this noise of, not that I know what it sounds like in Las Vegas. I'm just, I'm just imagining I saw something on a TV show one time. It's just the, the noise, it's just the sounds. And, and then she comes in and when she drops these tiny copper coins, and is the, do they even make a sound? Does anybody even notice? Does the, the guys who count and listen? Uh, I'm a pastor. I've been to lots of pastor's conferences. I was in a denominational church system before I came to Calvary Chapel. And uh, that's where I got saved. And then the Lord moved me out of that and brought me to Calvary. Uh, and and I, I, I've been in many conversations with pastors. And usually when you're, when you're in a conversation with another pastor, you get asked two questions within a couple minutes so they can establish your identity and your value and whether or not they should spend any time getting to know you. They say, how much money? And how many people are coming? And I usually have an answer. I, I always say, they say, well, how many people come to the church? And I say, like, I don't know, right now it's about ten or 12,000. And they say, oh, wow. And I go, oh, just kidding, it's about five. And I take them on this emotional roller coaster journey. <laughs> they go from the height of rejoicing, like, I met a famous person, oh, 10,000 people, like, hey, man, you know. No, just kidding, five. And they're like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. Somewhere in between. It's between five and 10,000. It fluctuates. <laughs> are you going to establish my identity by how much money or by how many people? But that's the way of the world, right? You meet a business person. How many? I have 110 employees. I just met a guy uh, last week. He's telling me, hey, what, do you, what do you do? Oh, yeah, I have 110 employees. So first thing you wanted to let me know is how many employees he had. I think if he would have had two employees, I wouldn't have said, I have two employees. I don't know if he would have been boasting. It's just human nature, right? I'm establishing my identities by these artificial fleshly props and what a contrast between these coming with all this money and then this widow coming in and I wonder the religious leaders what were they thinking I think we know from Jesus commentary on them what they would be thinking when they're watching all the giving they watch all that money go and they go oh boy oh we get our hands on that money 
oh, I've been waiting for this guy to come. I knew that the crops came in for him and that wealthy man, he's dropping in this money and will now have this money. And then when she drops in her money, like, hurry up, lady, move out of the way. And so Jesus calls his disciples over to point out something. And this is very significant for us. I'm going to make a couple of points up front. They're very basic. They're things that you already know. But you can't overemphasize this. this number one, Jesus notices everyone's worship. There's no one's worship that Jesus does not notice. Even if no one else notices it. Even if what this woman is doing, not a single soul in that room noticed what she did or even saw her probably. She was one of those invisible people. She could come in and go out and no one would ever even notice that she was there. But this is so important. You can't overemphasize this. Jesus notices every single person's worship. And the second point that goes with it, and this is just as equally important, and that is Jesus evaluates every single person's worship. Now, that for someone in this room or someone listening, you, that might be intimidating. You might say, oh, he's evaluating me. And you start to immediately feel guilty. Well, hopefully we could sort through that before the end of the Bible study. And you can settle that with the Lord. Someone might feel, that might make them feel really uncomfortable. Someone else might think, oh, are you serious? He does? I want him to. <laughs> I want him to look into my heart. I want him to see my, someone else th thinks I, what I have is so insignificant. And then Jesus says, I value it. Jesus values, he notices everything. He assigns value. And, and I want to say, maybe this might be just for those who are at home and you're stuck at home. You're vulnerable. Maybe you're in the category of this widow and you're giving to Calvary Chapel Miami doesn't really maybe even buy the communion supplies for the church. What can you buy with these two copper coins if you took them into the market? Could you buy a piece of bread? Could you buy a loaf of bread with these two copper coins? They're so, have you been to Israel? Have you seen these coins? Now, by the way, if you bought some in Israel, be careful because there's factories that are making these today. I have some friends that live in Israel. They're still producing these and they make them look old <laughs> and then they sell them to tourists. So if you bought some of those, I'm sure yours are authentic. Okay, so I don't want to like take away your joy if you have them in a plaque, but they probably were made in uh, the West Bank. Just kidding. I mean, probably. I hope not. I mean, you know, no, I bought them at an authentic place. Okay, good. Then yours are good. Uh, but if you saw them, they're just tiny. They're so thin. If, if she would have went out of the temple with those coins and said, I would like to buy something. Can I buy a small bird? Can I buy an egg? Can I buy an apple? Could I, could I get some bread? The answer would be, well, we'll need some more of those little coins if you want to buy something. They, they literally, most likely, are not able to purchase anything. You could almost say the amount that she put in doesn't amount to anything. It can't actually functionally do anything. And this is, this is something I want to bring. And maybe it's for someone at home. Maybe it's for you, too. But, but probably someone's stuck at home. They're older. Maybe it's a widow, and, and she, she's so excited. She's on a fixed income, and it's every month when she gets her check and she writes her tithe, and it's the, it means so much to her, and she's so happy, she's so proud. She loves her church, and she's putting money in, and, and her gift, you know, maybe if you have the, the board is looking like, we need this much money, we have to expand, we have to have this, and I'm not saying you guys, but like maybe some other church that we'll, we'll have as our fake church that we're judging. It's church, right? We judge. You guys aren't laughing at me. Maybe you guys, you guys are a loving congregation. Like most churches are really judging. So we're, we're judging an imaginary church. So, so the, the leaders would be saying, well, that's just not, we just need more money. We need more. If we got a thousand people to give a thousand dollars, you know, you, all the little gimmicky technique things to raise money that people have. And Jesus is looking at it and he turns to his disciples and he said, I'm going to blow your minds right now. I'm telling you guys. She put in more than anyone else. Is that true? Well, you, you say, well, excuse me, but I have a degree in accounting, and I do believe 10,000 pieces of gold is more than two tiny little copper coins. I'm not a genius. I actually had a C average, but, but actually I think that is more. I think, I think this huge pile of money that this person put in is way more than, we can't even buy anything with her money. And Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. Did you notice there's a truly I say to you there? He says, I'm telling you the truth. She put in more than everybody else. 
Now for you guys that are really practical, I wanna try to break through your practical mind today. And I hope, I hope the Spirit of God does for you because if you can let the Spirit of God break through your practical mind, it will change your life. Because God's economy is not like man's economy. And I'm gonna tell you factually, her gift accomplished more for the kingdom of God than all the other money that was put in there on that day. Because on the, on the judgment seat of Christ day, when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we give an account of our lives, this widow will be there and we'll get to meet her. Jesus will be presenting all the rewards for all of our life and we'll all be there. And Jesus will say, hey, everybody, listen. I want to introduce someone to you. You all know her. You remember the widow with the two mice? And we'll go, yeah, where is she? Where is she? And she'll come up. She won't look like a widow. She'll be in her new body. She'll come in and we'll say, is that you? And she'll say, it's me. I know. I'm so embarrassed. Please, Jesus, don't draw attention to me. And, and then and there will be all the millions of Christians who ever lived the last 2,000 years. Because I think it's coming quickly, okay? The rapture might happen before second service. I mean, we're in the birth pangs, right? We're going from one birth pang to another. So... Hopefully the rapture happens today, right now. I'm ready. So before the sermon's over, because uh, I'm running out of my notes. So <laughs> come quickly, Lord Jesus. So Jesus would say, everybody here, raise your hand if this woman inspired you. How many hands will go up? Millions of people. Millions of people were impacted by the gift that couldn't actually purchase anything. How many missions trips were funded by somebody who was impacted impacted by her life so factually in fact literally when Jesus says she put in more than everybody else actually her gift of essentially nothing accomplished more for the kingdom of God than all that other money on that day isn't that amazing and, and especially for you guys that are wealthy and you're very good at managing money, God's blessed you, you've been able to be strategic in your investments or, or you, were, you were in the right place at the right time business-wise and you were able to, to you know, you know, got out of one thing and put it into the other and God's blessed you and you, could, you have a mind that works like that. You come in and you clean a company up and, and you, you make it run properly. Especially for you, you need to buy into Jesus' view of the economy, his economic value system so you can invest properly. Because her investment of two mites turned into a re return that you can't even fathom. She, had, she has more of an impact in the kingdom of God, I would say, than Billy Graham. Billy Graham had a, had a short little lifespan and he could travel around and speak on TV and preach to more people than anybody who ever lived. But he didn't reach as many people as she did. He didn't inspire as many missionaries or givers or widows. Or, I mean, how many people in every language and tongue and generation and Chinese believers inspired by her and... She's, she's accomplished so much with her heart, with her heart. So Jesus notices and he evaluates and he most certainly cares. And if you're, if you're a person and you're looking and you say, I just want to love Jesus, but then you look and you write your tithe check and you write and you go, but it's just so little. I wish I could do more. Or you come to church and, and maybe you have a physical issue. You're, you're weak or you can't come and you want to come like you could or you want to serve in a way but you used to be able to but now you, your back is so bad or you know, all these different things and, and you say, but I can do this. You need to know that Jesus sees the heart. He sees the heart. He knows the sacrifice and, and that's what we're going to talk about. Jesus notices something that nobody else notices because the other people value the wrong things. They value money above sacrifice. They really, they really, like when someone wants money, they don't really care if the person sacrificed it or actually if it's really worshipful. I'm speaking honestly. I've been with pastors who, I've been with guys, I've been with boards, I've been with leaders, I've been, not recently, I mean not like over the young adults retreat, I'm not talking about recently. <laughs> this, I'm not preaching secretly, but I'm talking about many, many years ago. I've been with men, I've been with men where I've heard them say, they, they, they really just, it's like we just need the capital like a spiritual leader. We just need the capital. We just need the resources. And I think to myself, man, you could do without those resources. You need a change of heart. God can do more through one person surrendered. And I think when she comes in and drops in her money, one person in the room recognizes it because one person in the room values the right things and no one else recognizes it because nobody else values the same things as Jesus values. This is so important for us. They think, they don't notice because they think money matters more than heart. And I want to tell you, if you don't have a lot of money, your heart matters way more than your money. 
And if you're here and you have a lot of money, that doesn't disqualify you. You actually have a, a challenge to try to figure out, well, how with all the money that I have or the things that I'm responsible for, how can I give a gift or how can I serve in a way that's actually sacrificial? Where I'm not always only given out of a margin so that there's never any sacrifice involved. That's a challenge. They think currency means more than sacrifice. By the way, you know the currency that we have, is, they're called Federal Reserve Notes. Doesn't that inspire trust? It's like, Pastor, I'd like to give to you a bunch of Federal Reserve Notes. Well, we, are, we haven't had an economic collapse. We may. We may because of all of our, you know, all those coronavirus you know, things with the economy. Who knows what will happen? I have, I have in my, at my house, because I've been in countries where there was a collapse. I was in Serbia after the, all the Balkan Wars. I was in Serbia. I was actually at Belgrade in between the wars or maybe during one of the wars. I bought a 100 billion dinar bill. 100 billion bill. It's a bill with a one and all those zeros. They had inflation that was at such a rate, they just kept having to add zeros and zeros and zeros and zeros. And when the guy sold it to me, you couldn't buy anything with it. It was less than two mites. You could, you literally, I, have a, I have it though, and here it is. It's got all these zeros and it's worthless. It's a piece of paper printed. It's, it's only as valuable as someone makes it valuable, right? They think currency is more than sacrifice. They think that the things of God are accomplished by the things of the flesh. Let me repeat that. They don't recognize what she's doing. They value the wrong things because they think that the things of God are accomplished by the things of the flesh. Now, for the super practical among us, I know as soon as I say that, because I'm very practical naturally, the voice inside your head says, but of course you've got to say, like someone had to pay for the electrical bill, and someone's got to clean the carpet, and someone has to make sure that the, this is happening. And you, know, you can't just say that. If we didn't have money, we wouldn't be able to. The practical man is ready to speak up and give his objections. And let me just say, you're wrong. <laughs> it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And I promise you, Jesus could power the lights here, even if there was no electrical current. Even if, if, the, if the electric company shut off your power, I think the Lord could make the lights come on. I think a jar of oil and a jar of flour could last till the end of the famine. I believe that five loaves and two fish could feed a multitude of people. I believe that a man could walk on water. I believe that a tired 80-year-old man with a walking stick could go to the Red Sea and touch the sea and that the sea would part and the people would walk through. I think bread could appear on the ground every day. I think that there could be a cloud to shade the people during the day and a pillar of fire that would warm them at night and keep away the predators. The God that we believe in, he has means to reach his ends that will bring him glory. And this is very significant when it relates to our mindset change or the mindset that we have to adopt related to giving because there, there's two things that are very important to God. The Bible says God's a jealous God and we have to define that because when we say jealous, like my boyfriend's jealous or my husband's very jealous, we usually mean, well, they're very selfish and they want the thing for themselves and they've become very angry when they don't get what they want. God's not jealous like that because he's not selfish. So when it says God's jealous, it means God cares about us and he wants our best. God's jealous for some things, that they're, they're imperative to him. One is his own glory. God's very jealous about this. He will not give his glory to men. He won't give his glory to spiritual leaders. He won't give his glory to, uh, and I want to say this carefully, he, he, he wants to work through his people in a way where they receive uh, his work and they recognize that it's him and that he gets all the glory. It keeps us in a safe place. He's very jealous about that. So he, he chooses on purpose means to accomplish an end. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He uses the, the base things and the things that are weak to bring to nothing the things that think they're strong. He does it on purpose. The Bible teaches that. Paul, Paul makes it very clear. To a church that was preoccupied in a culture very much like ours with strength and money and wisdom and accomplishments. Paul told the Corinthians, listen, God's... God's concerned about this, and God doesn't use people. When, when we, we moved into a building, we were meeting uh, in an office building for about 10 years, and then our church moved, we were portable for 12 years. We had to set up and tear down every Sunday for 12 years. 
And then we moved into the building that we're in right now. Someone gave us a bunch of money. We paid cash and bought this building and, and we had to build it out. We had to go to the bank. So I'm sitting with the bankers and they're asking me questions and they, they're asking about our church. They wanted to see our financials, of course. They're investing, deciding do they trust us. And they asked me a question. They said, how many giving units do you have at your church? I was like, I looked at the guy, well, giving units? I'm trying to decide, like, we don't have a giving unit. I didn't know they made one of those. Like, is that like a new thing, gadget, like a giving unit? I, don't, I had no idea what he's talking about. How many giving units? And I looked at him, I'm like, a giving unit? And he goes, yeah, you know, a family. How many families? And I was like, you're calling the people that attend our church giving units? You want to analyze our church? And you're going to reduce us? To, you're going to decide whether or not you want like, Hey, I just looked at him, I go, we don't have, any, we don't have one single giving unit at our church. <laughs> we have human beings who love God. That guy's looking at me like, oh, we got a lunatic here. <laughs> they, they loaned us the money because we, we paid cash for our building. So they, they were like, well, well, as long as your building's collateral, you can have many giving units you want, you know. But what an interesting way to think about people. Human beings look at other human beings as commodities, don't they? They size you up. The whole idea of networking, you go around networking, you figure out who in the room could further my agenda and who in the room do I need to spend time with and who in the room can I just set aside because they don't have anything to offer me. That's how, that's how human beings look at each other. We're commodities to one another, but you need to understand God does not look at you as a commodity. He loves you. He loves you so much that he would send his son and Jesus Christ would take your shame and your guilt and your sin. He would bear it in his body. He would stretch out his arms. He would be crucified. And he would surrender to death, your death. And the penalty for, sin would, for your sin would be laid upon him. And he would die and perish in your place. But rise from the dead. And then he would give you life for free. Because he loves you. He's not trying to get something from you. He wants all of you. He wants you. He's jealous for you. God's jealous for his glory and he's jealous for his people. And when we let the world's mindset impact us and the way we think about giving, we start to treat people differently. We see somebody and we think, oh, look at that. That guy looks like he's got money. Oh, I heard about her. I heard she's this great businesswoman. You know, she's got this and this and this. And I think I saw her on Instagram. You know, she's trending. <laughs> you know, maybe we could get some of that. Like, we don't need 10%. Just give us 5%. 2%. We'll take it. We just, we just want the money. Commodities, God's jealous of us. He wants us to experience his love. He wants us to receive his love. He wants us to receive his grace and fall in love with him and be passionate for him and have this wonderful personal relationship. He's not doing business with us or trafficking with us. That's, that's the world. And he's jealous of his own glory and he'll sacrifice neither. So Jesus makes a valuation in our passage. He says, this is valuable what she did. And let me tell you, Jesus', Jesus observations, his, his statements are, when he makes this, this valuation, it's accurate, it's meaningful. He establishes what's meaningful. He tells us in the passage how to establish meaning or what gives something substance, and it's an eternal valuation. When Jesus says something's valuable, it is. Now, uh, when I was a kid, we were collecting baseball cards. Some of the older guys will know what I'm talking about. When you collected your baseball cards, you opened a package back in the day, and there was a cancer-causing pink piece of <laughs> chalk-covered uh, carcinogen that when you were a kid, you popped it in your mouth, broke a molar, uh, coughed and choked on the corona dust that was wrapped. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about, that little weird pink gum thing and then you you popped it you know you ate your gum and you looked at your cards and I I, I got it I, I was collecting baseball cards I love my baseball cards and I remember one of my favorite baseball players back it was in the 70s I kind of was playing baseball as a little kid in the 70s and man I love Pete Rose I was I was a big Pete Rose fan Charlie Hustle you know just man just play hard all the time and I wanted to be like Pete Rose and he was one of my favorite baseball players even though I hated the Cincinnati Reds I was from L.A., and the, red, the big red machine was beating up on my Dodgers. And, and so I, I grew up, in, and, but I loved Pete Rose. And I remember going to a baseball card show, and I had saved up some money, and I got a Pete Rose rookie card for 30 bucks. You know, when you're 11 years old and you save up 30 bucks, it's kind of a big deal. And, I, and his ears are sticking out. I mean, he looks like a, he's a little kid on the card. I was like, man, I got my Pete Rose rookie card. And I kept thinking, this thing is going to go up in value, you know, and maybe one day it'll be worth 40 
You know, when you're a kid, you're, I was so happy. Well, you guys know the story of Pete Rose and gambling and his car didn't really pan out. <laughs> I, probably, I probably couldn't give away. I mean, I, I got rid of it. Uh, I got off the, the bandwagon, you know, a long time ago. I don't even have that card anymore. But I remember at one point in my life, I was so valuable to me and I thought it would be so valuable. But have you had that happen? Have you been holding a stock and you held it too long? Have you had this? And you, values fluctuate, don't they? Everything in the world has a price and it's negotiable, right? Right now it's this and this is going to be that. And if you know this and this will happen to that. And Apple is this, but then it's going to be that. And if it goes this way and that and everything's up, everything's down. If Jesus says something's valuable, guess what? It's done. That's never going to change. If Jesus said, hey, put your treasures in heaven, there's no fluctuation there. Moth and rust don't corrupt. Thieves don't break in and steal. It's secure, man. Put your, put your treasures at an important place where you put your treasures because your heart is going to follow where you, where you put your treasures. He, when he says her, her gift is more valuable than everybody else's. You can be like, okay, that's it. we're done with that subject. That's set forever. Jesus, his valuation sets it. It's accurate. He established the value of offering and he, he established the meaning of offering by connecting it to sacrifice. Because if you look back at our passage, verse 44, they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. She put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Jesus tells us how he values our offerings. He said, I'm looking at all these gifts and all these other gifts. They didn't cost these people anything. Do you know that you can worship mammon and still donate generously to the church? You can truly be an idol-worshiping mammon worshiper and donate a significant amount of money to the church. These people were on that day. They were giving out of their abundance. When they gave, it didn't affect them at all. They still had their villa in Caesarea. They still had the home in Jerusalem right there in the old city. They still, you know, they would travel out on their yacht and go down the Mediterranean and and they would hang out with their friends and make the journey down to Alexandria and celebrate down there. They, when they gave these amounts of money, it literally, they, they could do it and not really blink an eye. It didn't affect them. There was, no, there was no sacrifice involved. This is really important. And this is, where, now listen, you might say, rich, tell those rich people, let them know. You know, I'm not rich, but those other people need to hear this. Uh, let me explain something to you. I've never been in a congregation yet in my entire life, and I've been all over the world. I've never been in a congregation yet that didn't think that they were the poor ones and the rich ones were somewhere else. <laughs> that we're the poor ones. I, I preached in Africa. We have, a, we have a, God's opened a door for us. We have this wonderful ministry in West Africa that we've been a, blessed to be part of. And I've been with people who are very poor, live in villages with, with no electricity, they literally still grind their grain by hand and throw it in the air and let the wind blow away the chaff. And I've sat with them and said, do you guys think you're poor? They're like, we're poor. And I go, do you know anybody who's more poor than you? And they're all, oh yeah, I do. Okay, well then you're rich compared to them. That's just, that's just the way it is. There's a challenge for us with our resources is how do I learn how to have my life be about sacrifice instead of about saving my life? Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. He said, but if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. That's a, that's a secret. That's, it's, it's black and white, so it's not a secret. But it's something that's really challenging for people. How do I lose my life for Jesus' sake? How can I sit down with my wife and say, honey, we have to figure out a way that we can sacrifice for the kingdom of God. But, but we don't have enough money. We can't buy our food. Now, listen, I'm not trying to get money out of a widow. Don't bring your two mites. We, we, you know, listen, if you're a widow and you're watching and you're at home, we, we're not saying this because we want to get your money from you. Tell, let us know. We'll bring food to your house. We love you. <laughs> we're, we're not trying to get anything from anybody. But what we want is for every person to realize when you open your heart to the Spirit, the Spirit's going to inspire you to acts of sacrifice. And you're going to look at someone who can sacrifice a lot and then you're going to look at your little bit and you're going to say, but my thing doesn't really matter that much. Well, it matters to the two and three-year-olds that you're taking care of at second service. It matters to that parent who's just now starting to come to church and they've been afraid to put their kids in the children's ministry. And because you seem so normal, not like a weird cult person. You know, they, when, when new people come to church and they've never been in a church, they think you're a cult. Did you, do you remember when you first came? 
Like you come and you think, these people are cold. They want my... And when, you, when there's a normal person, right? Like, hey, we're just so glad you're here. It's good to see you. I'm not, I'm, let's set aside corona because that adds too many. Who knows? Too much weird stuff right now. Masks, no masks, hand sanitizer. You know, like, I feel like Peter. Lord, not my hands, my whole head. Give me, wash my feet, wash everything. Purell me, Jesus. But, but just like in the normal time where someone walks in and there's a kind, normal Regular person that just is attentive, compassionate. When do you find that? And you just see that that sacrifice can change someone's life. When you're the usher, when you're the person in the parking lot that's, that's not out in the parking lot to fulfill your desire that you always wanted to be a cop and now's your chance. And you're going to take someone down every service. You're just waiting for someone to break the rule like, well, take him out, pastor. I almost got a guy. He looked, but he, he was on the white line. He better move. No, but like a, a normal person, just being loving. Like, well, that won't mean I have to come early. Yeah, but I only get two days off, man. I barely get a time off. I don't get time to rest. Yeah, it's called a sacrifice. Jesus establishes here, he says, she gave out of her poverty. This gift that she gave, it cost her a lot. These other guys, it didn't cost them anything. I attached no meaning I attach all the meaning. That's a judgment, isn't it? Who, that's not my judgment. I'm not, I didn't say this. Jesus said it. Jesus said her gift meant something because it meant something to her. And we know it meant something to her because it cost her. It cost her something. I would just challenge you. Look at your giving financially. Does it cost you anything? Probably almost all of you. I'm sure it does. You're probably like, yeah, you don't know. That's a, that's a check. That's a, I look at it and think that's a lot. Because that means I can't do this, I can't do this, we'll have to change this, we'll have to rearrange this. And yeah, it's painful. There's a bunch of things I'm not able to do because I'm, we're committed to this, so we're doing it with joy, we love it, we give it to the Lord, it's his, man, we're, we have no problem, we love it, but man, it, it's, it's, it stabs a little bit. It's hard to write that. But if, it's, if you've got a stack of margin and you clip the top of it and it never costs you anything, there's a great hero in the Bible, the man after God's own heart. Remember the story, David numbering Israel, the angel's judgment's coming into Jerusalem and, and the angel's standing with Jerusalem with his sword in his hand and David comes to the threshing floor and he tells the guy, listen, we need to offer a sacrifice right now. Can I have the ox? Can I have your land? Let me have it. I, I'll buy it from you. The guy goes, look, I'll give it to you. And what did David say? You know the passage. David said, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. The man after God's own heart tells you the heart of a worshiper. I'm not going to offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Jesus' valuation lasts forever. He told us to lay up our treasures in heaven. This woman, her two mites, bought more than they could have ever bought. <laughs> uh, I have some dear friends who live in China, a bunch of young people in a church when I visited them about four years ago, they probably had 150 people crammed into this apartment room. This had a, renting a big three-bedroom apartment. That's where they had the church services, packed with people under 30 years old, 100, over 100 people packed in there. Great church service, wonderful group of young guys. And just looking at these guys, probably thought like, man, half of the, like 10 or 12 of these guys are gonna be pastors and they're gonna be sent out. And then the persecution starts. And their leaders are taken to jail. Their leaders are harassed. And then the church has to splinter and they go into small groups. But then the, the government is able to track all the small groups and they break up all the small groups. And now they're meeting like one-on-one -on -one as best they can. The church has been just smashed. They don't, they're, some have lost their jobs. They're in really difficult situations. They still love Jesus. They're still giving. They're still trying to serve. And, 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 the, and you look at that and go, is it meaningful? Is it valuable? Is it eternal? Is it doing anything? Are they just going to get smashed by the government? Jesus' valuation. That's the only one that matters, right? This, this world's going to be over for us in just a second, and we're going to stand before God, and he's going to evaluate. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you're going to say, I didn't do anything. And he's like, oh, man, you got up early every Sunday. You were down there, and you, you stayed. And, oh, when you took care of your wife, your mother, when your mother-in-law was sick, and you brought her into the house. Remember that? Like, I was watching it the whole time. Yeah, but I couldn't be an usher during those three years because I was taking care of her. It's like, yeah, you liked being an usher way too much. You had your usher hat, your usher badge, you, the usher strut. 
You know, you, you established your identity in a thing and you were getting more out of it than you were giving. That really didn't mean that much to me. But when you had to wash her, when you, when you combed her hair, when she was so grouchy and you were so kind, boy, I loved it. Oh, I watched it. I loved it. I loved those moments because it was for me. There was nothing about that that was about you. It was all about me. Oh, I treasured it. And look, here it is. Here's your reward. It's all here. You took all that... See, see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to get more ushers or children's ministry workers or get your money. We're going for something else. We want to see all your treasures in heaven. We want to see your life transformed and your brain transformed so that you'll see and think like Jesus. I want to turn, can we do something real quick? Can we look at a confusing passage? Will you forgive me for introducing a very confusing passage to you and going through it way too quickly? You have, great, you have a great pastor so he could explain it later after I confuse you, but turn to Luke chapter 16. This is, one of the, this is one of the only parables that Jesus told that is a parable of contrast. So we're going to look at a bad person. This is a bad person doing a bad thing for the wrong reason. But he's the hero of the story. And he's, a hero, and he's used as an example for one simple reason. So set aside all this crazy bad stuff he's going to do because he's going to make you frustrated. You're going to say, this is, shouldn't even, Jesus shouldn't have told this story. This is way too confusing. But look at, look at the story. It's Luke 16, verse 1. There was a certain rich man who had a steward. An accusation was brought to him that the man was wasting his goods. So he called him and he said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. You can no longer be steward. And then the steward said to himself, what am I going to do? My master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. And that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they will receive me into their houses. So he called all of his master's debtors to him. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, get your bill. Sit down quickly. Write 50. He's cooking the books. He's totally lying. He's totally cheating. He's been a terrible steward. And now he finds out his time is short, so he starts cheating the master worse. Okay, then he finds another guy. Hey, uh, how much do you owe? Verse 7. The guy says, 100 measures of wheat. He says, okay, take your bill and write, write 80. Now look at verse 8. The master commended the unjust steward, and here's why. And it's own, this is the point Jesus is making, a very singular, narrow point. He says, he had dealt shrewdly. Now if you're a Bible underliner, the word shrewdly you want to underline. He dealt shrewdly, for the sons of this world are more shrewd. You could underline the shrewd. So there's two shrewds, right? He acted shrewdly. The sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. The man's praised for one reason. He acted shrewdly. You can see his shrewdness in that he had a short time. He used his opportunity to prepare for the future. He used the opportunity he had right now to prepare for his future. And Jesus says, listen, the worldly person who cheats and lies and steals is more concerned about his future than the person who's a believer who loves God and doesn't prepare for his future. The heathen prepares for his future better than the believer prepares for his future. It's kind of heavy, isn't it? He says, verse 9, very clearly now, he interprets it. He says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Unrighteous mammon is Federal Reserve notes. Okay? Unrighteous mammon. Mammon is the worship of materialism. Jesus says, make friends. So you're here. You've been, you know you're a steward. You're going to give an account of your stewardship. But you know you have a short time. You're not going to lie and cheat and be lazy like this guy. But you're going to recognize, I have a chance right now to use unrighteous mammon to prepare for my future. I have a limited amount of time. Once I die, I can't do it anymore. I have the time that I'm alive on earth to prepare for my future. And I'm going to use my unrighteous mammon to make friends for myself. So even if I have two mites, I can make friends with my two mites like this lady did. She did more with her two copper coins for her future than all those people with all those gold and silver and jewels and offerings that they put in. So you're here and you're a minimum wage laborer, you're out in the hot sun and the humidity and you're digging ditches, you got, just got on in the county, you're excited, now you can, you're operating a backhoe, you're working your, you know, so hard in the hot sun and, and just suffering and you don't have a lot of money, barely pay your rent, you barely meet your needs, 
but God stirs your heart and you, you're, sac- you're giving. You're finding ways to spend and be spent for the kingdom of God, even with your money. You think, well, I, I don't need that PS3. I don't need that game. I don't need this thing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take, I got something. I can give it to the Lord. And you're giving it and you're giving it with joy. All those resources, you're making friends. That's what Jesus is saying. But notice, he says a spiritual principle in verse 10, and this is what I wanted to get to. He says in verse 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? That's pretty heavy. What is Jesus saying? You can reread it for yourself, meditate on it. Think about what he said. He said, if you're, if you're not faithful in the, in the little thing, who's going to give you more? If you're not faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who's going to give you real money? You know what I want? I want the true riches he's talking about. I'm kind of over Federal Reserve notes and what they can accomplish. <laughs> I, you know, it doesn't really seem to me like they're that valuable. As a pastor of a church, you know what I want to have happen in our congregation cannot be accomplished with Federal Reserve notes. I want to see hearts get on fire for Jesus. I want to see people turning away from sin and turning to God. You can't buy that. You can't. If I say, listen, I'm going to give $10 million to everyone who truly repents this morning. <laughs> I'd have a lot of people in line to get the $10 million. How much true repentance would I get? Probably none. What I want to have happen is I want true riches. My heart is so hungry to see something that's real and lasting and eternal. And, and to be perfectly honest, money doesn't do it for me. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these things are all passing away. They're not from God, they're from the world. And and the world's passing away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I'm interested in something else. I want to see something else happen. I think our country needs something else. I think the world needs something else. If you haven't been faithful in that which is little, then who's going to give you more? Think of this this widow. She's faithful in little, isn't she? Could you trust her with more? Yeah, a crazy lady like this? You better be careful what you give her because she's going to give it away. She's crazy. <laughs> she gets up in the morning, puts her shawl on, gets herself ready for temple, and anything she's got, she's giving it to the Lord. She's all in. Can you, can you entrust a ministry to this lady? Yeah. If you want it to go crazy and explode, and who knows what it'll turn into. She's a sacrificer. She's crazy. She'll charge. You see, no one can serve two masters. If you, if you had looked further, verse 13, no one can serve two masters. It comes down to which master are you serving? She's an example of all of this. Let's close with, uh, with one last thought. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Another famous person. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments? You know, don't steal, honor your father and mother. It gives them the second half of the commandments that relate to our treatment of each other. And the guy says, look, I did all that. But look at Mark 10 verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's an interesting way to put it, huh? He looked at, he didn't hate this guy. He wasn't mad at him. He wasn't, he looked at him, he loved the guy, and he's gonna make an offer that's amazing. He says, You're lacking something, though. You're missing something. You wanna know what you're missing? Verse 21, he said, Go your way, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven, and come and take up your cross and follow me. If Jesus would have said it to the widow, what do you think she would have said? She would have said, I actually I just did that. <laughs> I just took everything I had and I just gave it. I'm all in. But Jesus said it to this guy. In verse 22, he was sad. Jesus just said you can have eternal life. Why was he sad? Jesus said you can follow me. Why would he be sad? You can follow me. You can be with me every day, man. You can follow me. Be with me every day. You can do what I'm doing every day. We're going to take, we're going to start a kingdom. That the kingdom of heaven is going to be here on earth. We're going to, we're going to blow up the Roman Empire. We're going, to, like, we're going to turn the world upside down. You could be with me. You can follow me. And you'll have treasures in heaven. That guy was, why was he sad? Well, you know why he was sad. He went away. He left. He, he had many possessions. He heard that word and it didn't feel good. <laughs> it felt like a sharp sword cut his heart. And he thought, wait, you want me to do what? You want me to sell all my stuff? You want me to give up everything? I'm not doing that. Now, I have a lot of empathy. For, I'm not judging this guy. I have a lot of empathy for him. When I gave my life to Jesus, I was a loser. 
I was a zero. When the Lord said, give up everything, I was like, well, I ain't got two mites. I'm coming. Here I am. I, I got nothing. I gave my life to Jesus. He was rescuing me from destruction. So it wasn't a big sacrifice. It was like, okay, take over. I've ruined it. You know, there's nothing left. I burned it down. This guy had a lot to give up, and he wouldn't do it. Now, do you think the widow regretted putting in those two mites? Like, the rich young ruler, wherever he is, I, I believe and I pray and I hope that he repented later and got saved. I, I hope. I hope one day we'll see me as a sign, rich young ruler, and we'll be like, that was you. He's like, yeah, I was a dummy, but I came. I hope he got saved, but let's, I don't know if he did or not, but wherever they are today, the widow and the rich young ruler, do you think they regret their choices? I don't think the widow does. Pretty sure she doesn't. What about the rich young ruler if he never repented? You think he regrets it? You think he might be sitting in a flame Awaiting the final judgment, thinking, he invited me, and I hung on to my chariot with those 20s, 30s, whatever, his rims, low-profile tires, whatever he had. Like, I had, that, I had to have that robe. I had to have that thing. I had to have this, and I wouldn't let go of it. I looked him in the eyes, and he said, come and be with me. He, he was offering me heaven and eternity, and I told him no because I wanted Federal Reserve notes. I wanted the comfort that I could buy. Oh, I'm in this flame. I'm separated from, I mean, listen, eternity's everything, isn't it? It's so important for us. We want to live, don't we? I want to live. There's only one way to live. And Jesus thankfully made it really, really clear. The only way to live is to have reckless abandon, to be totally all in for Jesus. And if you have a lot of money, then it's going to require you to spend a little more time and be a little more creative with Jesus. Uh, I have some wonderful friends. They're super wealthy, and they got a vision from the Lord. They've gone to, uh, they found this private antiquities dealer, and they purchase ancient Torah scrolls that have been sort of like defiled so they can they be handled now. They're not sanctified anymore. This, that's a long rabbinical thing. But this family, they've taken the money that they've made, a big chunk of it, and they purchase these ancient Torah scrolls, and then they go around and donate them to seminaries. They're using their retirement years to gift the word of God to seminaries. And they go and they have these big things and, they, and unbelievers come out. And they've been on TV and they're, they're talking about the word of God. And this crazy idea and they're using tons of resources to do it. And when they talk about it, they have so much passion and joy. And I think it's expensive. And I think it's a big sacrifice. And I think it's costing them something. They're, they're super wealthy. But they do it with so much joy. They're so happy about it. Now, if you're more wealthy, you're going to make, but listen, you, if you say, but I'm really poor. If you're really poor, guess what? You've got to be creative too. You've got to think about, okay, I got this. What am I going to do? I've got this much time. Maybe you're, maybe you're crunched for time. But Rich, you're telling me to do this. I'm trying to keep my business afloat. I work seven days a week already. I don't have any margin. I know, isn't that awesome? You've got to find a way. You've got to dig into Jesus. Grab hold of him. Let the Spirit of God speak to you because you want to live. You don't want to get at the end of a season of your life and look back over 20 years and say, guess what? After those 20 years, I did nothing for the kingdom. Not one sacrifice. I, I don't know what I was doing. I was a, it was a waste of 10 years. You don't want that. You want, to, you, want to be, you want to come to the end of your finish line and hit it with your chest and stretched out, pressing forward and have Jesus say, oh, hey, look at it. They've crossed the finish line. There she is, the widow, running hard with her two mites. Changing the world. Amen? Father, help us. Help us put it into practice. Lord, specifically, even right now, 